Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Hope Community Church Podcast. Hope exists to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we believe that as we partner with God in His mission that we can see a world changed. Listen, if you're looking for notes to the message you're about to hear or links to other messages, we want to encourage you to check out the link in our description. If you're looking for more content and resources that we believe will be a blessing to your life, feel free to check out our YouTube channel or download our free app, which is available right now. If this message is a blessing for you, we want you to consider sharing it with your friends and family as we hope to get the message of Jesus spread across the globe. Thanks for joining us. All right, how we doing tonight, Hope? It's so good to be with you guys again. What an honor, all of you guys watching online. It's so good uh, that you're joining us as well. I especially want to say hey to my mom and dad who are watching out in Fuquay. I hope you guys have had a chance to take your summer vacation, and if not, maybe you've at least got it planned. Uh, my family, we, tend to, we take our vacation every May, and we go to a place called Holden Beach, uh, Holden Beach is about 30 minutes south of, of Wilmington, and one of our favorite restaurants there is a place called The Provision Company. Uh, they shorten it to Proco. Uh, they're known for really good food and really bad parking. And one night as we were finishing up our shrimp burger there, uh, we were making our way back to the main road. You need to understand that the road back to the main road is extremely rough. It's extremely rocky. Uh, it, it's, it's not a smooth road is what, what I'm telling you. So we're making our way back to the main road. And just as I'm getting back to the main road, I, I noticed that the guy behind me, it seems like, it seems like he's flapping around, that he's talking, he's trying to get my attention. So I, I, I stop and I roll the window down and I can't really hear him too good. But it sounded like he said, you threw rocks on my car. And, and I'm thinking, well, that can't be right. Because I don't know that my 2004 Nissan Xterra could throw rocks on anything. So I keep going and I'm on my way to my next destination. I'm pulling to the grocery store parking lot. And then I notice Proco guy has followed me. And I'm thinking, that can't be good. So I get out of my car and he starts chirping. You know what I mean? He's chirping. He's got things to say. He's getting a little bit lippy. And, 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 and this is what we know. This is what we know. Come on. Every encounter requires a response. And, and he keeps going and he keeps going and he's got these things to say. And listen, guys, I'm trying to be spiritual. I'm trying to be spiritual. I'm trying to hang in there. I understand I'm a pastor, but I'm trying to hang in there. But he keeps... He keeps chirping, and then I could feel it. It started way down in here, the, 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 the anger and the rage, and it was bubbling up, and I was trying to tamp it down. Come on, anyone, anyone? Anyone like me? It just, it's just keeps coming up, and you're like, no, no, got to keep that down. And then finally, finally, I leaned in to the passenger side window, and I said what I thought I said was in a very nice way. But I said... What do you want from me? And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. How can anybody, how can anybody respond that way while they're on vacation at the beach? And that's a great question and that's a fair question. But that's not the question I want you thinking about or asking. 
I want you to be thinking about who's your Proco guy? Who's that person that when you encounter them, it immediately you flush up and there's tension. There's just tension there. And, and, and maybe it's somebody you encountered at your 4th of July event recently. Maybe, just maybe, it's somebody uh, that's in your neighborhood and when you bump into them, you're like, oh. Or maybe it's a family member and it was that person at Christmas and you're realizing, oh, July's almost gone. Christmas is coming. I will have to see them again. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And you're sort of shallow breathing even now that I brought that up. And see, we all have an opinion about these type of people. We have thoughts about this type of people. We may even have names for this type of people. We may call this type of people something like drainers. Because anytime that we're with them or around them, it feels like all they do is drain our energy and drain away our time. And we struggle with that. If you're a business person, this is what you're thinking. That this is a person that they know ROI. There's no return on investment. Because every time around this person, there is zero value add. Zero value add. Why is this person, this is the question I would go, why is this person even in my life? Because here's what you know, and this is what I know, that every time we encounter with something, it reveals something about us. It reveals something about our character. It reveals something about our personality. It, but what if it revealed something about our heart? Because I'm beginning to wonder, because I'm trusting you in this, because I'm processing through this in real time. I'm, Dwayne says it's a safe place. But I started asking, but how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus handle these type of people? Because he certainly encountered some, some surprising people. And we might even bucket them at, you know, they're a little sketchy. They certainly, at a minimum, raise our eyebrows. And we're like, why them? Why them? But the question that I really want us to wrestle to the ground today is, what does an encounter with Jesus require? What does an encounter with Jesus require? So if you have your Bible or your electronic device, if you would grab that and meet me in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we'll get some of the verses on the screen for you as well. But we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, if you've spent any time in church, if you've spent any time in church, you've probably heard of Zacchaeus. If you've spent a lot of time in church, you probably even know a song about Zacchaeus. But if you're walking in today and you've never heard of Zacchaeus, man, you're in for a really, really, really cool story. So let's jump on in. When we join the story in verse 1, we, we, we learn about Jesus and that he is on the move. It says in verse 1 that he entered Jericho and he was passing through. So Jericho is not his final destination. He's just going through Jericho because he is on the way to Jerusalem. He is on the way to go to the cross. Jericho is just on the way. But what you need to know about Jericho as we, as we bring it up is it's one of the wealthiest cities. It was a Roman regional tax center. And, and also know this, that the tax collectors, uh, they weren't civil servants during that time. They weren't civil servants. These were people that sort of did contract work. They bid on the job. They got the job. They had to raise a certain amount or bring in a certain amount. And anything that they got above that then they were able to put that in their pocket. So this is what's going on in that culture. This is what was a big deal in Jericho during that time. In verse 2, as the story continues, we're introduced to Zacchaeus. It says, behold, there was a man. His name was Zacchaeus. Yep. And, it, and we're given two descriptors of him. We learn that he is a chief tax collector and that he's rich. So Zacchaeus, when we're introduced to him, what we learn is that he's an administrator. He's like the regional manager. 
A lot of tax collectors report to him. He is in charge of organizing them. They report to him. And here's the thing. He gets a cut of their cut. So Zacchaeus would be somebody who's, who has power and money and influence. He has some status. He has some position. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. He holds a universally despised occupation. It's a despised occupation. So he would have been seen as hated. He would have been disreputable. He would certainly have been seen as shady. And this is who he was. And we have, when we think of people like Zacchaeus, we have thoughts about people like Zacchaeus. And we think, why would God mess with them? Why would God mess with somebody like them? Why would he mess? Because we, we, when we look at certain people, we think, you know, God can do a lot of things with a lot of people, but there's some people, mm, God can't do much with them. God can do a lot of things with a lot of people, but when it comes to somebody like Zacchaeus, mm, mm, that is, we just view him as somebody who's it's just a mess, that they're beyond help. He, the Jews in, that, in the culture would have looked at him, man, he's a, just an extra good bad guy. Because he would have been seen as a participant in the Roman oppression. He would have been viewed as a traitor. Maybe even an informant with, with the bad guys. And so they had this low view of him. And then we also learned not only is he a chief tax collector, but he was rich. That means he leveraged his position for personal gain. The bottom line when it comes to Zacchaeus. I mean, he's sketchy at best. He's a scumbag at worst. And so he's probably this sketchy scumbag. You know one? You know one? We all have these groups of people, and then there's this guy, and we're like, mmm, mmm. And we make assumptions about these type of people. But before we go too far with our assumptions about who this person is, before we go too far with our assumptions about Zacchaeus, I want us to tap the brakes. This is what I want us to do. I want us to immerse ourselves into Zacchaeus's life. I want us to put ourselves in Zacchaeus' shoes. Come on, how do you think Zacchaeus felt? What was in his head? Because remember, from the outside, as we look at him, he's a person with power and money and influence. And when we're on the outside looking into something like that, we see he's somebody who's wealthy, and because he's wealthy, he must be satisfied. These are the assumptions that we make. These are the assumptions we make. But then we have to ask, but are those things enough? Is power and money and influence, are those things enough? So what's going on in Zacchaeus' head? Maybe, just maybe, he's not as satisfied as we think. But our assumptions about people like Zacchaeus make it terribly difficult for us to be sympathetic with people like him. In fact, we're more likely to be apathetic than we are to be sympathetic because we don't know or we don't care that much about certain people, people like Zacchaeus. Because if something bad happened to Zacchaeus, we would say, hmm, see, he had that coming. He had that coming. See, the bottom line for us in the struggle and the part of the challenge that we have, we're not all others oriented equally. When we look at others, we have different buckets and we classify people. We come back to the story in verse 3, and we see, but this Zacchaeus, it says that he was seeking. He's seeking to see who Jesus was. So for some reason, Zacchaeus is curious. 
We don't know why he's curious. It doesn't tell us why he's curious, but we just know he's trying to see what's what with this Jesus guy. Maybe he heard about him because of Matthew. Matthew was a close follower of Jesus who used to be a tax collector. Maybe they bumped into each other at the convention. But for some reason, he's curious. He wants to know more. He's on this quest to find out who Jesus is. But the story tells us that he faces two obstacles. Two obstacles that are going to prevent him from having an encounter with Jesus. And the first one we're told is because of the crowd. So there's this massive crowd following Jesus. They're looking to see what's he going to say? What's he going to do? What is Jesus going to say? What is he going to do? And the second obstacle is that he's short. So there's this huge crowd and, he, and he's, he's not that tall. So that's going to be an obstacle that's going to prevent him from seeing and having an encounter with Jesus. And if I could just pause for a minute, this is what I want to do. I want to push into your business. I just want to push into your business a little bit because I want to know what obstacles are preventing you from moving forward in your faith. What obstacles are preventing you from moving forward in your faith? And perhaps it's a person. They wounded you, they hurt you, they disappointed you, they've let you down, and therefore you're to the places like, why bother? Why bother? I, I, just, don't, I'm, I just don't know if it even matters. And for some of you, maybe you've been disappointed by the church. Because you've encountered some church people, and I'm a church person. You've encountered some church people that they're actually pretty antagonistic. They seem more motivated. They seem so motivated by what they're against instead of by what they're for. And so you find yourself disappointed with them. And some of you, it's even more personal. It's even more personal. There was that time, there was that season when you needed God to show up in a massively big way. You were praying, you had all your friends praying, you had all your hopes in this bucket that God's going to show up, and he didn't. He didn't show up in the way you thought he would. You felt like he was distant, and you felt like he was absent. And maybe your obstacle is disappointment. But then there's the other side. Some of you, as you walk in tonight, some as you walk in today, some of you, as you tune in, it, it's, it's not disappointment, it's success. It's success. Maybe, maybe, just maybe your life is going so well, you're, you're just wondering what benefit could an encounter with Jesus have? Because your health is really good, your job is going well, you just got a promotion, your marriage is doing really well, the best it's ever done, your kids are even acting normal, and so you're really, really, really excited about that. And why would you want to add anything to mess up what's going so well? So success could be an obstacle to your spiritual growth. But what do you think was going on with Zacchaeus? What was motivating him to look? What was motivating him to see? What was going on in his head? Maybe he was just weary of being hated and hassled because of his job. Maybe he's just lonely because he certainly would have been isolated and marginalized in the community. The story certainly paints the picture that he's distant from Jesus. So maybe these things are factors in how he's feeling and why he's seeking. But he faces these barriers, and because of these barriers, he's going to have to be resourceful. Look at what verse 4 says. It says, and so he ran. It says he ran ahead and he climbed. He ran and climbed. Now, understand that in that culture, somebody with power and money and influence This was shameful. This was undignified. You didn't do this. Come on. There's no running, no climbing. This is not the way. You don't do this. 
a person like Zacchaeus, you just wouldn't do this unless, unless he was looking for something more because what he had was not enough. Because it wasn't enough. There was a reason. See, oh, come on. There's a reason that Zacchaeus is running. There's a reason that he's climbing. There's a reason he's seeking. And there's a reason that you're seeking as well. There's a reason that you're running. There's a reason you're climbing. For some of you, some of you, maybe it's pain and you're just desperate for relief. What do you got to do to get some relief around here? And you're ready to try anything. For some of you, you, you're just so confused and you desire just a little bit of clarity. If I could get a little bit of clarity about what's going on in my life, that would be awesome. And some of you, some of you, as you come in, as you dial in, you, you just, you don't even know what you're seeking. You don't know what you're seeking. You don't know what you're looking for. You just know that you are. And I can tell you this, that you need the same thing that Zacchaeus needs. You need the same thing that he needed. You need an encounter with Jesus. And we're going to see that Zacchaeus was able to overcome his obstacles. And the challenge is, are we going to be able to overcome our obstacles? So Zacchaeus was running and he was climbing and his tree of choice was just a tremendous, excellent choice. It was a sycamore tree. This is a great tree. It's a, store, it's a sturdy tree with a short trunk with lots of wide branches. The sycamore tree can grow to be 40 to 60 feet high. And so he has put himself in a position to see Jesus as he comes by. Now think about this as I push into your business a little bit more. What, what are your choices and decisions doing? What about the trajectory of your choices and decisions? Your decision-making paradigm, maybe. Are they putting you in a position to connect with Jesus and grow as a result? Are your choices and decisions putting you in a path so that you can experience your potential at a max level way? Or are your choices and your decisions, are they setting you up for maximum disappointment? Zacchaeus has made a choice and he's putting himself in the way that Jesus is coming by. And in the story here, from here, it gets, it gets really interesting based on what we, we know about Zacchaeus and what we think we know about Jesus. I think it's a little bit surprising when it comes to verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, just, just think about this for a minute. Jesus is not coming to Jericho. He's going through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Zacchaeus, behind the scenes, has been running. He's climbing. He's getting ahead because he just wants to see what's going on. And here comes Jesus. And he stops right in front of the tree. And he looks up. And he locks eyes with Zacchaeus. And he calls him by name. Now think about it a minute. Just think about it a minute. If you're Zacchaeus, what's going on? I mean, come on now. What's in your head? Wouldn't that just, mm, this can't be good. This can't be good. And then I'm thinking it from Jesus' perspective. How does he know about Zacchaeus? I mean, does, I, mean, does it, how does, I mean, is it like the divine God stuff going on? Or is he just knowing by reputation? Ah, oh, Zacchaeus. Uh, the sketchy tax collector. How, how about come on down? Let's have a word. And then if you're Zacchaeus, you're thinking, hmm, hmm. But notice this, the urgency when Jesus calls him. He says, hurry and come down. The idea here is don't put this off. 
Don't put this off. Come on down. And he says, for I must stay at your house today. I must stay. There's this divine necessity here. I must, but then stay. This is where it gets really awkward. This is where it gets awkward because stay is very open-ended. Well, how much stay are you talking about? Are you talking about like a couple of hours? A couple of days? A couple of weeks? Now listen, listen. No self-respecting southerner would do this. You, you, don't, you don't pick your host out and invite yourself over in public. You know why? Uh, it's rude. Jesus does this, invites him down. This, I mean, just unthinkable. But, but especially you don't do this, you don't invite yourself over to a sketchy tax collector's house. That's not right. Zacchaeus has encountered Jesus. He's been invited down. And so here we get the first glimpse of how he's going to respond. It says in verse 6, so he hurried and came down. He's hustling down, and it says, and he received him joyfully. So here we get the first hint of his response. He's being moved emotionally. There's this deep emotional impression, and I don't know what's going on in his head. Maybe he's thinking, well, he knows me by name. Here's an opportunity for fellowship. Maybe there's some, this is a path towards forgiveness. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm coming down. I want to see what's going on. But I want us to go back to the beginning. Remember the question that I ask. What does an encounter with Jesus require? What does an encounter with Jesus require? And here's the answer. An encounter with Jesus requires a response. And in the story, we see two. The first one I want to show you is from the crowd in verse 7. Because remember, all of this is happening. All of this is happening in the crowd. The crowd's seeing all of this. And it says, and when they saw it, they all golf clapped. They all were a little bit excited. That's not what it says. It says, and they all grumbled. They all grumbled. Nobody was excited about this. And look at the language. It says, and he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Come on, in, in my head, this is, so me reading the story, this is me reading the story. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this is how the, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Can you believe this? Oh my gosh, the guest of a sinner. So all of this is taking place and the crowd begins to mutter. And they're complaining. No way. And notice that he's not even called Zacchaeus at this point. He's called a sinner, which would marginalize him even further. It would marginalize him even further in the community. And I wonder how many times that my actions have made someone feel marginalized. Because I think back to that encounter in the grocery store parking lot. How many times have people felt marginalized because of my actions? And the story begins to shift. You see the hostility moves away from Zacchaeus and it moves towards Jesus, which shows that this crowd that's been following Jesus, they've not learned anything about who he is. Because what we see here is that Jesus in his kindness, he, he leads with grace. He leads with grace. He gives us that which we don't deserve. And we struggle with this concept. We struggle with this concept because for us, we feel like this is so scandalous. Why should someone like that get this? And grace is a scandal because it insists on including those that we wish to exclude. Come on, if we're honest. Come on, guys. If we're honest. If we're honest. There's some that we want in. And there's some that we're more comfortable if they stay over there. Just stay over there. 
stay away. But in this moment, though, in this moment, though, I believe that there's a big problem that we have grown very, very forgetful because we have forgot. We have forgot who we are. And we have forgotten that we are sketchy too. And that we need grace also. Now, I want you to be aware that when you begin to move towards Jesus and receive his grace, and maybe you've already moved towards Jesus and you want to extend grace to others, you just need to be under, just, just understand, just understand that it's possible that some are going to grumble. It, it, it's likely that people are not going to view this at the same way you do. They're not going to view it the same. Their response is going to look radically different. And I find this extremely sad. I find this so disheartening. This is so disheartening to me that someone takes a step of faith. They make this massive step of faith and the crowd grumbles. So just be aware that your step of faith may not result in everybody celebrating. But I do like this about the story. I'm encouraged by this, that when Jesus came to the place, when he was right at the tree, when he was locking eyes with Zacchaeus, he didn't require Zacchaeus to change before he took up residence with him. He didn't look up at him and say, Zacchaeus, if you get your life together, if you begin to change the way you behave, if you would start handling this money right, then I can come over and we can cook out on your, your Blackstone. And we can hang out, but he doesn't do that. The grace of Jesus comes first, and then transformation follows. The encounter comes first, and then the response. And I find that so encouraging, which leads us to Zacchaeus' response. We've seen that he's responded emotionally right at the beginning, but how does that play out? Is he going to actually receive Jesus, or is he going to reject Jesus? Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, in that culture, understand, in that culture, giving up to 20% of your wealth and your possessions, that was considered very generous. To give anything above 20%, that was considered foolish. That would have been crazy talk. What are you doing? That's not wise. But what we see is, as, as Zacchaeus is making this move, we're seeing that his His actions are evidence of a changed life. Real life change because of his encounter with Jesus. It's changed the way Zacchaeus handles his money. He's no longer motivated to, and he's moving or he's motivated to move from a mindset of taking advantage of people to actually serving people. He's moving from taking advantage of people to serving people. And it's all happening right here in front of the crowd. He says, if I've defrauded anybody, if I've cheated anybody, if I've extorted anyone, if I've exploited anyone in any way, you see Zacchaeus is trying to make it right. He wants to pay restitution. He's showing a thankful heart, which is expressive of a changed heart. You see, his gratitude is following the grace. He is being grateful. He is being grateful because of the grace that he has received. He understands what a big deal this is. Now, we've already established that this is a safe place, but this is what you need to know about me. I have a, a, I have a cynical streak. 
I get a little bit cynical, and so I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, we've established that Zacchaeus is sketchy at best, that he's more inclined to be probably a scumbag, and I want to know, why is he doing this? Why is he being this generous right here? Is he trying to leverage this to have favor with Jesus? What's he trying, is he trying to earn his way into acceptance? What's going on here? I mean, these are questions that I feel like I need to ask. And then one of my favorite writers commenting on this story helped me understand what was going on, helped tap down the cynicism. Tim Keller, and he writes, he says, if salvation had been something earned through obedience to the moral code, then Zacchaeus's question would have been, how much must I give? In other words, what's the line? What do I have to give to be right with you? What do I have to do to have acceptance from you? What do I have to do to earn my way in? But he says, he continues to write, however, these promises, the ones that Zacchaeus was making, these promises were responses to lavish, generous grace. So his question was not how much must I give, but how much can I give? Not how much must I give, but how much can I give? And this is the challenging part of that. This is the challenging part of that. When the question is changed in your life, you'll know your heart has changed. When you move from how much must I give to how much can I give, you'll know your heart has changed. Zacchaeus has encountered Jesus and it's resulted in a heart change. But I want to be clear, is this the result of Zacchaeus' efforts? No. It's just not. Paul reminds, reminds us of this as he's right, writing to the believers at Ephesus. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not what you've done. It is the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one would boast. You see, Jesus went to the cross as our sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross as our substitute. He paid the debt that we couldn't afford so that we could receive the benefit that we don't deserve. And come on, you know what that is? That's grace. That's grace. And that's what Zacchaeus experienced. And as the encounter with Zacchaeus comes to a close, this is what Jesus says. He affirms Zacchaeus' response and he confirms his salvation. Look what he says in verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to this house. And in this moment, Zacchaeus has found, he has found what he has always been looking for. Have you? Have you? But I want you to be warned again, if your encounter with Jesus makes you a better employer it may not be better for the company's bottom line. If your encounter with Jesus changes your attitude and your outlook towards your family and how you think and how you feel and how you act, it may change how you invest in them. You may have to sacrifice your agenda to begin doing things that are meaningful to them because this is what I'm learning. This is what I'm learning in this story, that an encounter with Jesus costs something. An encounter with Jesus costs something. And because of what he's done, you and I have a choice. What kind of response are you going to give to Jesus? 
So you're going to give a response. The question is how. Are you going to receive Jesus or are you going to reject Jesus? And when you receive Jesus, it looks like life change. But when you reject Jesus, this is what it looks like. It looks like the same old thing. Now the substitutes that you go after, that you're looking for for that satisfaction, they may change, but the result will be the same and it will leave you disappointed. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? Look how, Je- how Luke wraps up the story. In verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man, he's talking about Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Isn't this phenomenal? The, the, Jesus' mission runs so counter to our cultural norms, what we would expect to happen. They fly in the face of that. Jesus reaches out and cares for the sinner. And so what we see as we come to the end of this, that the one that was seeking wasn't actually seeking. He was the one being sought by Jesus the whole time. Zacchaeus didn't collect taxes when he encountered Jesus. But what he did learn and what he did discover is how God cancels spiritual debt. And the mission of Jesus is not over. The mission of Jesus is not over. And he invites us to be a part of that. I want to go back to Proco guy. You remember Proco guy? What do you want from me? What if my encounter with him was an opportunity for me to represent Jesus? What if in that moment, what he needed was to see Jesus? I wonder, would, would my actions and my attitude, would they have compelled him closer or pushed him farther away? Because you see, I could tell this guy was scuffling. I could tell he was, he, he was, in, he was in a little bit of trouble. I mean, he was talking at me, but he wasn't looking at me. What if my tone and posture had changed? What if it had been different in that moment? What if I had leaned in and said, hey man, you look like you're struggling. Is there anything that I can do for you? Is there any way that I can serve you? Because this is what I'm struggling with in my life. Do I create obstacles for people who are trying to have an encounter with Jesus? Am I creating obstacles? Do encounters with me make others, do they make others desire the Jesus that I say I represent? And maybe the more challenging question is, do I see others the way Jesus does? Do I see others the way Jesus does? Because this is what we know, that an encounter with Jesus, it requires a response. How are you going to respond? Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus and he came in kindness looking for us in our sketchiness. In our sketchiness, he came looking for us. Lord, help us in this moment as we're trying to wrestle to the ground. What is it that we're seeking? What is it that we're looking for? What is it that we're willing to sacrifice to find because we desperately need change?
Lord, help us to respond by, by giving our lives to you in faith. And Lord, if you have worked that miracle in us already, Lord, I just pray that you would begin to work that through us. That you would make us more sensitive to what's going on around us and help us to be available. And may our actions and our attitudes, may it draw people, may it draw people to you. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.